Welcome. I'm Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. And today we have Larry Levine from Thousand Oaks, California. Is that correct? Spot on. Okay. Spot on. I rehearsed well there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's great to have you on the show today. And uh, I am really excited because so many of my shows are kind of on this angle of, you know, adversity and grief and trauma and survival and things. And now today I get to go back into my previous life, which for those of you that follow me, I, I still am a owner of an investment firm, but I don't practice. Um, I don't take clients anymore. I kind of run from a, um, 30,000 foot view, but it'll be nice today to talk about selling. Cause this is where <laughs> I really think we all live. We're all salespeople, um, at some capacity. Some of us are selling intangible ideas uh, like investments, retirement planning, and then some of us sell cars and boats and uh, houses. So, But we're going to go through your book today, and I, I read your book. I finished it up last night. Um, I've got a lot of neat things I want to talk to you about. And Uh-oh. first of all, I want to congratulate you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I love the book. Uh, it's well-written. It's an easy read, but I do think the points you have in there are very good. I took a lot of notes last night. So first of all, congratulations and welcome to the show. And um, I hope you're enjoying 80 degrees right now because it's not 80 in Iowa right now. I I tell you, um, I think winter's over. I mean, technically we're, I think we're smack dab in the middle of winter right now, but winter in Southern California is a small window and I think the windows already closed. So I'm actually looking forward to 80 degrees today. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so let's let's start with this, Larry. Uh, you have a tremendous sales background, and now you do um, keynotes and you do coaching and you work with people in in sales. So you've you've been in the trenches. And I like when you started your book, the first word that I saw in your first chapter was authenticity. And I wanted you to elaborate a little bit on 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 why that word is important to you not just in sales, but just in being a good person. But why did you pick that word to start your whole book on and build your foundation on from selling from the heart? It's, uh, I, it's the core of who I am, Jeff. And, and when I say that is, um, I, I, I remember writing the book, I had all kinds of people reaching out to me. And every, you know, a lot of people want to know, hey, what case studies and what research are you going to bring around selling from the heart, you know, we see, we see you using the word authenticity. I said, Hey, listen, I don't have a PhD in psychology. I don't have a PhD in human behavior. I'm not bringing a collegiate level doctoral approach to this book. I would say, you know, I got a PhD from getting the crap kicked out of me for a long time in sales (laughs) and in life. To me, authenticity is a lifestyle and it's not a light switch. Mm-hmm. And, and I say this because there's one thing that I led my life and I spent my whole entire career in one sales channel and that was the office technology world. Mm-hmm. And there is one thing that I held myself accountable to more than anything else was congruency. Does the mm-hmm. walk match the talk? Absolutely. And, you know, so often and especially today in the times that we've been going through is authenticity is an often overused word and it's become buzzword. It's just become buzz soup. And to me, it was how your authentic self sells you is, Hey, listen, you got to take a deep journey into really understanding who you are. If you really want to sell with authenticity, 
because if the walk doesn't match the talk, you're going to get called out on the red carpet. Yeah, I think the best salespeople I've ever encountered in my life weren't salespeople. They weren't people that were selling widgets or anything. They were people that were just very good, genuine, authentic, caring humans first. And they just happened to sell a car or happened to sell a house or happened to sell, you know, an investment um, or book. But the authenticity, I think, rings true in any sales job. And, and you can smell the people out that are either financially struggling or have personal demons uh, that they haven't resolved. And the selling isn't authentic. It's not, as you say, from the heart. It's, your title of your book is perfect because it's kind of hard not to talk about what we're going to talk about without, say, selling <laughs> from the heart. But that's really what it is. I mean, if you're – we always used to say when I was in the business, you know, I, I, that if you ask for the business, it's too late. You should never ask for the business. You're, you're doing that the first minute you shake their hand. You're, you're, you know, the ABCs in your book, you talk about always be closing, and that's what they said in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, which is probably not the best movie to watch for salespeople. But again, it's a great movie to watch for salespeople because it teaches you to be in the trenches. But the always be closing, I think, is true. I think that resonates with any sales relationship. Wouldn't you agree? I, I think even before you get to that point, if we're going to throw ABCs out, I would say the first part of this is always be connecting because you'll never get to the end point. However, mm. anyone in sales wants to define the end point. That's good. Is without connecting. And two words that are near and dear to me are connect and relate. And I was never, here's what was interesting since you brought up closing. I was never the strongest closer, never. But what I really keyed in on was how to connect and relate and how to open up that conversation. Because I knew in my heart that if I didn't open a conversation in the right way with Jeff, if I didn't connect to Jeff in the right way, if I didn't relate to Jeff in the right way, and all these things subconsciously are going through Jeff's mind in the matter of seconds. I was dead in the water. I was like a salmon swimming upstream. Right. So I, I think so often, you know, to me, I don't think we're ever closing. We're just continually mm. to build upon that relationship. And, and all too often, you know, in sales, right, you bring up Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is, you know, the whole always be closing mm -hmm. is when salespeople look at closing a sale. To me, they've ruined the relationship. They've lost because it. Th they've lost it because yep. quite often is what happens before. Yeah. usually starts to go the opposite way after that sale has already been made. And that's unfortunate. And that's why, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why not to go down the negativity road, yeah. but it's, it, it, if salespeople can really grasp and move away from always be closing. Yeah, I agree. To always be connecting, always yep. be nurturing, always be growing, always be facilitating, that, always that's really be good caring. I, I like that because the act of the sale should be a formality, right? It should be, who do I make the checkout to? Or, you know, it, it shouldn't be a, a tension-filled moment in time where the two of you are having a, you know, an old Western stare down, who's going <laughs> to go first. And then, you know, you learn all these little things. He who speaks first loses the sale. You know, all these things that are 
borderline, you know, ridiculous because they're so, you know, antiquated today. They don't make any sense. Um, but I do think that the beauty of a relationship, of a sales relationship, is the act of the transaction is a formality. You know, it's just a, it's just another process. And but so what was your first sales job? Let's talk a little bit about your background, the, the world you're from. Um, I know you in the book, you talk about the copy copy sales business, which seems to me pretty cutthroat. And uh, it's like selling life insurance. That's where I got my start. <laughs> it's, you know, it's right up there with selling life insurance. <laughs> oh, I, I tell you, well, well it, it was interesting because uh, that's, the, that's the only sales channel I ever sold in, Jeff. Oh, wow. It's, uh, you know, sometimes in, in it, it's not like you grow up saying, hey, guess what? I think when I grow up, I'm going to be a sales professional, <laughs> yeah, a copier salesperson, yeah. right? It copiers to believe. Yeah. Right. But I, I don't think, right. If we're eight to 13, 14 years old, and right. we're in our formative years and we have these conversations, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. I can rest assured that selling copiers doesn't come up in any of the conversations. No. It, no. And so this, this was interesting because all throughout high school and a good part of college, I worked in a pharmacy. Oh. And I delivered I delivered prescription medicine to people after school who were home were homebound, couldn't get out and so forth. And then I started watching how pharmacy people would interact and so forth. And and being a young impressionable kid, Jeff, I said, Hey, you know what? I think I'll be a pharmacist. Yeah. Serious. I think I'll be a pharmacist. So I double majored in college and, but here's the kicker. I couldn't pass freshman chemistry in college because I, I couldn't pass it. that. Yeah. I struggled with it. And I said to myself, insert a bunch of nasty words as I was beating myself up. I said, Hey, listen, if you can't pass freshman chemistry, this is going to be a long road to be a pharmacist. <laughs> What's right. the next best thing? And it was pharmaceutical sales rep. So keep in mind, this was yeah. the 80s, and that was the glamour sales job. Oh, yeah. That's, what I, that's, that's what, where it, all, it the ex, just, all the ex-athletes ended up as pharmaceutical <laughs> sales reps. Right. And, and so uh, that's where I, the double major came in, and I shifted gears, and I got a degree in health science, and I got a degree in marketing. Here's the caveat. I'm graduating college, and I have no job. Zero. Mm. My dad goes, hey, listen, son. You're getting ready to graduate and you have no jobs lined up. You got to figure out this thing really quick. Mm -hmm. And I remember what he shared with me because he traveled a lot at the time. He said, I ran across a guy on an airplane who was a copier manufacturer rep. And we just got into talking and so forth. And he dropped this on me. He said, if your son can sell copiers and last one year in the industry, he's worth his weight in gold out in the sales world. I bet. And I bet. so this is back in, you know, he... Uh, this was late 1987. So now mm -hmm. I'm dating myself. I just picked up the yellow pages, found the largest ad in the yellow pages, picked up the phone, asked for the owner of the copier dealership, got an interview, and a week later I was hired. Mm -hmm. And it was the worst year and the best year I ever had. Absolutely. And I was on I was on a dysfunctional sales team with dysfunctional salespeople, a horrible sales manager. But I held myself to a higher degree of standards than most, and I think that's it's a product of how I was raised. And I was raised in an environment where my dad had a career, and that's what he stayed in. 
His yeah. parents had a career. That's what they stayed in. And they didn't job hop. And that's how I was raised. And I go, okay, I got to figure this out because the last thing I want to do is let my parents down. And I last in this thing six months and I go find something else. And then I go mm -hmm. find something else. So I just doubled down on myself and I said, hey, listen, I just got to be the best that I can be. And I just, just went on a journey of really uncovering the difference between sales reps and sales professionals. And I really keyed in on one thing that catapulted me through the whole entire, my whole entire career is I love asking questions and I would just ask people, what do they like? What do they don't like about salespeople? What's a great experience? What's not a great experience? And I just carried that through. And the reason why I did this is I knew I was in a dysfunctional sales channel where it was all about me, all about my products, all about my commissions all about the next sale and it was never about the customer. So I just leaned into the customer right. and I was willing to do things differently. How important in your career journey was having a good mentor? Oh man, I wish, I wish I would have latched onto one earlier on in my career. And, and I, and I say this for a reason is, um, I didn't find my first coach slash mentor till I was 40 years old. Wow. I went from most of my 20s to most of my 30s in, and then right around 40 is when 40. the light went off till I was 40. That's insane. Is, um, it, totally insane. Because Here's what's interesting because I'm always asked all the time, hey, if there's a single piece of advice that you can give me, what would it be? I said, go find a mentor and a coach. That would be mine too. And, 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 but here's what's interesting is I was harder on myself than any sales manager ever was. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have any leaders, so-called sales leaders. I had more dysfunctional sales managers than anything else. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I've, I've said I was harder on myself than anybody else was. I've said it a couple of times. And the simple reason is... I grew up. I grew up with a father who was a rocket scientist for the United States Air Force. Hmm. Just a complete brainiac. Yeah. Went to two Ivy League schools, and you know, do degrees in aeronautical engineering. Super hmm. smart guy. Hated salespeople. Right. I go into sales. And so the reason why I say I was harder on myself is. I wanted to prove to my parents that this was a career and I can mm -hmm. turn this into becoming a professional at it. Mm -hmm. So I just has, I just have an insatiable appetite to learn. And I was constantly reading and I was constantly going to seminars and I was constantly asking for help and I was working on me, but I got in and I was very successful at it. But when I got to 40 years old, I hit a brick wall, total brick wall. Hmm. And I knew it. I knew I had plateaued at 40 and I was making good money. But I knew I was missing something. I just didn't know what it was. What was it? <laughs> this was interesting. And it wasn't until I brought my business coach on that I realized it. It's where I learned the journey to the inner part of who I was. Yeah. And I was masking all the insecurities and I was masking fear and I was masking mm -hmm. self-doubt and all this by just going out and selling more mm -hmm. and selling more and selling more. 
but I didn't know what was really eating at me, but I knew I had plateaued. So when I made the commitment to myself and, and re- I didn't even share it with my wife. I remember I hired my first business coach, literally Jeff, I plunked down a $10,000 check for 90 days. This was 17 and a half years ago. Hmm. Best investment I ever made. I, I don't believe in my heart. I'd be where I'm at today without my first business coach because the first 30 days we went on an inner journey into really mm-hmm. uncovering who I was. Mm-hmm. And I found out I was capable of doing a whole lot more than I was doing. Yeah, you need to have somebody out there, you know, combination of pulling you up and pushing you from behind. It's not just a raw, raw coach. You need somebody that gets you to open doors to, you know, what your potential is. I, I as you're telling your story, I'm thinking back to when I was 23, you know, I've, from the age of 23 to 55, I've never had a salary. I've been on commission my whole life. And now my investment firm has morphed into a steady revenue stream where I don't have to sell anything. We were, most of our business is on fees. So, um, I don't have to, you know, move money around to get paid like I used to, but I go back to when I was 23, I just happened to get into my sales training classes career builders, that's what we called us in the life insurance industry, with a gentleman named Greg Bosch, who was a basketball coach at a community college here. And he came into the business same time I did. And he actually recruited me out of high school. So he's about, I think, 12, 13 years older than me. And just immediately became my mentor. And you talked about your coach being without that person, you know, you aren't who you are. Well, Greg shaped me, molded me, this rough, you know, type A, kind of often negative, kind of naive young person who was good at selling insurance, but he really molded me. And so I stuck around him for a long time, by 15 years of my career, you know, I emulated him. I I copied him. I used mannerisms. I told jokes when he wasn't around (laughs) and, and really he has been one of those people in my life that I can say on, you know, count on one hand that really changed the trajectory of my life and took me from a competitive, high anxiety, you know, angry person to somebody with a lot more balance. So kind of like you're talking about kind of open that, open your mind up to your potential, but not through pushing you, but through pulling you, you know, to make you a better person. There's one thing having a Bobby Knight behind you and yeah. motivating out of fear, but then there's another way to motivate and change behavior and that's inspiration. And I think as humans, I think a lot of us, I know I was more motivated through inspiration than I was fear. Yeah. You know, and see what's, what's interesting. I was, I was the, I was the complete opposite. What drove me in sales was fear of failure. What drove me in sales was fear of letting my parents down. And I had that initially. Yeah. Yep. And then it changed. Yeah. It, it, and it's uh, and it's why I – that was the big inspiration on why I wrote the book the way I did. Because I, I look back oh, – wow. I look back on almost 30 years selling copiers in a highly competitive market like Southern California. And there wasn't one sales manager – on any sales team that I was ever involved in that said, Hey, guess what? We're going to spend the next two, three months, four months, and we're going to take a journey to our inner self. 
we're going to work on self-reflection and self-care and self-love and things like that. Never, never, never. So where'd you go to get that? I had to seek it out myself. Literally, I had to seek it out myself. My, like I said, my first business coach taught me that. Uh, I, I taught it. You know, I self-taught myself. Just things that I, I read that resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's why when I decided to write Selling from the Heart and bring this message out to the forefront, I go, hey, listen, sales, and I write about it in Selling from the Heart. Sales is brutally tough. It's not for the weak-hearted. And you got to be prepared for it. But when the inner part of who we are is out of whack, the outer part of who we are is out of whack. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm a big believer in this. Everybody has something in the closet they're running from. Mm-hmm. Something. Something in the past. Something yeah. that's, you know, whether that be a bad first sales experience or a bad conversation we had or some trauma in our childhood mm-hmm. or something. And it never really, really rears its ugly head until later on in life. Well, you talk about addiction and substance abuse, which is where I hang. Yeah, my hat. exactly. What happened to me. And Dr. Gabor Mate says that the number one cause of addiction for uh, adults is childhood trauma. Um, you know, he peels back every client conversation back to something that happened in childhood. And sometimes I think successful people, athletes, you know, um, keynote speakers, uh, coaches, they have something in their past that motivates them, you know, and I think that's a spiritual journey. I think we all go on, you know, trying to exercise those demons. Um, you know, I'm meeting people have been through some horrific childhoods, you know, sexually molested, uh, raped. Um, and I sit there and I think, man, you know, my, my stress at my childhood was maybe I didn't get a motorcycle for Christmas or, you know, (laughs) maybe I didn't make the B squad on basketball. And then, and I have peers at that same age group that I didn't, I didn't know, but now I know now, you know, one in six women are sexually molested. I'm sorry, one in four, uh, women, uh, girls are sexually molested one in six, uh, boys. Mm. And, Mm. And so I'm thinking of all my peer group I grew up with that had these underlying issues and, and see what happens is if they're not resolved, then you get into a high pressure sales job and you end up drinking after work, you know, with your buddies. And I became an alcoholic, um, for many, many years. And I quit essentially after my son died, our son died to support my wife. And then her alcoholism got worse and she died seven months ago from alcohol, alcoholism. So I am very passionate in trying to get people to understand. You talked about everyone has childhood trauma or, and I'm sorry, everyone's running from something. I completely agree with that. Yet I would submit to people. We all have a why. Yep. And some of us have found it. I found mine through death and I found mine through personal uh, addictions like alcoholism and gambling. You have a why. Maybe it's a why you're comfortable sharing. Maybe it's a why you're just going to take to your grave, but we all have a why. And so in, in the same token, Larry, that we're running from something, I think every single human being has a purpose. And it may not be laid out yet. It may not reveal itself to you for a while. We all have it. And at some point, you'll find it. And I think the combination of letting go and absorbing what you're running from into that opportunity that is now your why, I think you reach a place of... Um, peace in your life 
You know, I, I, I totally agree. And, um, wow. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, if I go back, if I go back to my whole entire career in sales, I was only working on one part of me. That was skill set. Right. How can I become better? Right. Mm -hmm. How can I become better? Because I will sell more at the expense of other pieces of your puzzle. As yeah, right, exactly. I will tell you this in my fifties, I've learned more about myself oh, yeah, than I did that. in my twenties, thirties and forties combined. combined. Yep. And, um, I believe my purpose and, and, and it's really interesting. I believe things happen for a reason. I truly believe in my heart. Things happen for a reason. People come into your life at a certain point in time. Things happen at a certain point in time, positive or negative, something happens. Well, I believe for me, it was getting fired at 50 years old. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it then. I realize it now that things happen for a reason and me getting fired at 50 was actually a blessing. I really didn't realize it until this past year, believe it or not. That selling from the heart, the podcast, the book, the movement that I'm building, that's my gift. That's my why. That's my purpose. In bringing all of this the to the right. in, in, in bringing all this to the forefront. Thank you. And, and the reason why I share this is I believe in my heart. It is just not spoken enough in sales. Absolutely. That you talk about it, it, the victim mindset and I wrote that down in my notes here that those are, you know, the victim, the victim mentality that we have, you know, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen? You know, why did I get fired? What was me? And instead of reframing it into this happened for me versus this happened to me, it's a, it's a very holistic way to look at opportunities. And so you can, if you practice, and you've obviously mastered this, that's why you're so good at what you do, is no matter what happens to you, you know, the worst possible outcome is the death of a child. So how can I possibly rephrase what happened to me as this happened for me? How could losing a child be a gift? Well, it isn't. It's an opportunity. Sure. I had someone once say, well, Jeff, you know, the way you write, you almost sound like that what's happened to you is a gift. And I said, no, it's not a gift. It's an opportunity for me to squander. It's an opportunity for me to fumble the ball at the goal line. And so for me not to keep doing what I'm doing, I feel like I'm letting down my wife and my son if I don't do this. So that's that, that's that inner mm -hmm. drive where your why is inside of you and it got you to be as successful as you are. And now you're into coaching and mentoring and writing and, that why still continues. It just kind of morphs into a different project. You know, that's the beauty of tragedy. That's the beauty of chaos. That's the beauty of really bad things that happen to us as, as, as happens to all of us. I, I don't know of a human being. I'm 55, Larry. I think you're around the same age. 57. I, you and I could sit down in a room of 155 year olds and there isn't going to be one person there that hasn't had something bad happen to them. Oh, but when it does happen to us, we feel like we're the only one that this has happened to. And that's yeah. where our misery and despair and depression and anxiety all kind of builds. And then we, we crack. We either 
take our own life or we become addicted to some substance, you know? And so I think you're onto something with your book because it's, I think you knew this when you started your book, Larry, it's a lot deeper than selling. It's spot on. It is. I didn't realize it at the time. Right. And you know, 2021 was a massive learning for me, massive learning. It was, it, I transformed more in 2021 than I think I ever have. I did too. Cause I, I, I went on a spiritual journey. I went on the journey of really, you know, what does it mean to really align the head and the heart? What's that really mean? Mm -hmm. And I just I, I just started to change up my morning routine and I just allowed my brain to open up and just accept things, you know, in a different manner. And what would that do? And I've always taken this philosophy that I'm not, a tr I'm not afraid to try new things, especially in my professional career. Yeah. I, I caught and, that and in I your feel, book. And, and I feel that's how we learn. It's why I, I, I just love reading. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I mean, I've read some pretty, I've read some amazing books. I've read some books that were not so great, but even the books that were not so great, I found one thing in it that I could take away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my journey in 2021 was I made a commitment to myself that I was really going to understand how to align my head and my heart. And it's something that I struggled with for a long time. And I'm just on a big mission right now to take, I always say to take my mess and turn it into my message. Mm -hmm. And sales is messy. Sales is extremely messy. Right. Because there's so much involved in it. Well, there's no but finality when, to it. There's no termination because a lot of times the sale begins after the sale. You know, it's the service. I mean, in our industry, in the financial services industry, Larry, there was a study about five years ago from a large insurance company, and they polled, I don't know what it was, a massive amount of clients in, you know, have you fired your financial advisor? And if you did so, why did you leave? And then they got the results of the poll, okay? And then they went to financial advisors, and they said, when you lose a client, why do you think you lost the client? And would you believe that there was a complete disconnect? in that the consumer was saying one thing, the advisor was saying the other. And what the reality was, out of all the options they gave, rate of return, you know, maybe your investments aren't doing well, so you fire, fire your advisor. Your fees are too high, or I can go to Robinhood and get trades for free. Sure. You know, the one answer, and, and the advisors uh, was more focused on fees and performance as why I got fired. Guess what the number one reason why clients fire their financial advisor was? Uh, I, I, I would say, lat, well, probably various reasons, but if, if I had to pick one, I'd say lack of attentiveness by the salesperson. Service. Yeah. So the one thing you can control is your service. You can control email follow-ups. You can control answering phone calls. You can control... You can control all that. You can't control the stock market. You can't control, a lot of times, the expenses because they're built into the products that you're selling. But the one thing you can control is the one thing that you drop the ball on. And that, to me, is the, I think that can permeate probably among, among most sales jobs and take what you were doing in, in copier sales. Again, service is probably everything. Most copiers are probably built mostly the same. Their probably performance is the same. Their cost is the same. So... 
are people buying the copier or are they buying Larry? Oh, I mean, they're buying me. However, yeah. most salespeople, they can't relate to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, I'm all about, I'm all about the relationship. Let's just, let's just look at this just for a quick moment. Mm-hmm. If we look at sales in general, in, I don't care what y'all sell. Trust and credibility in sales are at all time lows right now. Yeah. All time lows. Um, insert name of any research company who's doing any research on trust, whether that be through Gallup or whether that be mm-hmm. through Edelman or reports by Gartner. Mm-hmm. Sales is, I, I think I, I read something recently. Gallup did a poll and did some research during 2021. Mm hmm. And sit of all the people they researched. Now, Jeff, I can't remember the exact numbers of people they researched, but I do remember the percentages. 8% of the people that they surveyed trust salespeople. 8%. Mm. Wow. 8%. I shouldn't say that's surprising. No. The word, I mean, sales, the word salespeople should be changed. That's a terrible word. It, 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 but, here, but here's what was interesting. 89% of the people they researched trusted nurses that ranked Mm. at the absolute highest and it was because they lead with empathy and they lead with heart correct now let's just think about this and how this can relate to sales because if i get a group of salespeople together in a room no holds barred Mm. right we can freely speak our mind and, and i just start saying hey do relationships matter to you Every salesperson is going to say, yes, relationships matter. Right. Then what are you doing to build those rock solid relationships? Right. And you said something that I want to key in on what salespeople believe the relationship is and what their clients believe the relationship is, is two different things. And I believe the relational gap right now is the size of the Grand Canyon even larger. And where I'd like for people to really think about is if you're in a world where trust and credibility is extremely low, especially through the eyes of the people who matter the most, not your clients, then you got to learn how to bridge the relational gap. And you got to be, you got to learn how to become less vulnerable inside your client base. And the way you do that is building authentic relationships and bringing meaningful value each and every interaction with your clients. Cause if you don't do it, somebody else is standing right in the wings that will do it. You know, something that popped into my head when you were talking about that was, I think when we're looking at this from a sales to the client or the customer uh, perspective, I think most people watching this are kind of envisioning a one-on-one in a conference room, you know, c- across the table, cup of coffee. But the reality is your team that you're with is an extension of you as well. So if, for example, at our investment company, I think we have eight full-time staff right now, each one of them is an important extension of me, of all my other advisors that we have at Premier Investments of Iowa. And so if I have a staff person who's overly moody, short-tempered, having bad days frequently, 401, they're out of the office, you know, I call them clock punchers and, and right. most most good businesses, they don't have a lot of clock punchers, um, especially the small business like I am. Um, they have people that are dreamers and believers and visionary, and they, they're part of everything. But I think that's a missed part of the opportunity here that we could, as salespeople, help the people coming up behind us is when you start adding 
team members. And I know someone will say, well, why would you want to do that? Well, there's no question the most successful people I know are the best at delegating. Sure. I mean, they're not, they're not the one doing changing the spark plugs and all that. I mean, they're, they're delegating it to somebody that's doing that work and then they're marketing. You mentioned something I want to get to in a minute and that's the most essential, the most essential action to take was prospecting. So I'm going to put that in a box for a second and go back to what I was talking about. Um, one thing that I used to work with my, my team was something called knowledge, desire, and time. And I think sometimes as a person who likes to control things is it was hard for me to delegate because I could just do it better myself. But as an owner or as a small business owner, or maybe a really good salesperson, you're normally going to have somebody on the front lines below you that's answering the phone calls, sending mm -hmm. the emails, getting the draft proposals together, getting the paperwork sent to the new client to sign, whatever they need to do. You, more than likely, really good salespeople aren't doing that. Um, and so I guess my point is with this, Larry, is I think sometimes you drop the ball if you don't hire somebody that's, you know, should be close to being equally as passionate as you are. And eventually, if you're really good and you keep ratcheting up your business, you're going to have to have more and more people working that you can delegate the knowledge, desire, and time to. So then you can do what I want to segue to, and that's prospecting. So I saw that you wrote most essential action to take is prospecting. And I said, amen, amen. I used to joke. I wrote, I wrote chapter, chapter five of selling from the heart is all devoted to prospecting. I used to joke in the business and in my business, there's a designation called the CFP chartered financial, uh, um, CFP certified financial professional. It's like the MBA. It's like the masters of our industry. Well, I took my test once I didn't pass. It's the only test in the history of my exams. I did not pass. I passed every other exam. And I used to laugh with my guys. I said, well, I couldn't pass my CFP, but I got 45 appointments next week. So which would I rather have be a CFP and have five appointments or not be a CFP, but have 45 appointments. So my point was the fact that I didn't pass my CFP didn't bother me. I'd be more bothered looking at an empty schedule next week. Yep. So, so I, I know there's a lot of people that are focused in getting designations and getting all these degrees and getting all this knowledge, but then they look at their schedule, Larry, and they go, my Monday's free, my Tuesday's free. You know why? Because they suck at prospecting, right? <laughs> I'm going to say some, and it's not going to sit well. But if you suck at prospecting, I'd say go find another job. Amen. I agree. It, and uh, doesn't matter how smart you are, right? No, no, it's prospecting. You know, to me, the root of all sales evil, the the root of all chaos in sales, the the root of all the anxiety in sales, will all point back to lack of prospecting in an empty funnel. Every time, every, every time. single time, it solves a lot of problems when you have your Monday through Friday full. Exactly, and and I write about it in selling from the heart is if you want to have an ever-flowing sales funnel, you must build an ever-flowing relationship funnel. Mm -hmm. And prospecting must become non-negotiable. I've been in, I've been in I, I, like I said, I started my career, my very first sales job, I graduated college in 1987, tail end of 87. My first sales job and the only you know career I had was in the copier channel. I held myself to non-negotiables and one of them was every single day. I will prospect. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you this right now, still to this day, every single day I prospect. 
Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to throw I'm going to throw a bomb on on your listeners on this. <laughs> I prospect seven days a week. Yeah, you have to. I prospect on Saturday mornings. I prospect on Sunday mornings. I do it because it's become part of my lifestyle. You love what you do, and I don't. I, I love what I do. I don't. I don't say this because hey, it's my badge of honor, and you don't do it, therefore, right? Yeah, no, yeah, it's yeah. it's. Yeah. I, I I do it because it's. I love it. I love what I do. Plus, and I learned this a long time ago when I was selling copiers. Most executives, they're hard to get Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. However, I found now. Sometimes it's easier to get them on a Saturday morning and a Sunday morning on a social post and social engagement that is anything that'll translate to a Zoom conversation or a phone conversation. But prospecting must be non-negotiable. I don't care if you're brand new in sales or you're well-tenured in sales. So let me ask you this question. I have my answer, but I want to get yours first. What's the difference between marketing and branding? I would say marketing to me, marketing is that message is going, that piece of content, that message is going out to the masses. Mm -hmm. You're spraying a message out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a sales guy through and through. I'm a sales nerd. I'm not, I'm not a marketing expert by no means, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I, I would say this hang out on LinkedIn in any social platform for a few minutes and you realize that's mostly marketing. Right. No, you're, you're hundred percent correct. That's really what it all is. Uh, You know, now, now we can insert the word social marketing into it. And that's all it is, is you're just spraying messages out there. Okay. Spray and pray and and so forth. To me, branding, if, if we want to, if we want to bring this into a sales centric definition for a moment, I think Mm -hmm. branding is position yourself out in the marketplace as that subject matter expert who's worthy of having a conversation with and your mm-hmm. actions speak louder than words. And, and there, there's, there's three, I, I live by three E's. I did it when I was in the copier channel and I'm building this movement around selling from the heart around these three E's. And this has helped me with branding. It's how well you educate engage and excite people into conversations. Mm-hmm. And the last thing is, and you know, it's, it's a long winded answer, but I'm a big believer. Perception's reality. Absolutely. Perception is yeah. reality. And yeah. to me, perception is reality through the eyes of my clients, my future clients and out in the marketplace, we can control perception. We can control how we carry ourselves. We can Mm -hmm. control how we engage. We can control and how we lift others up and inspire them and influence them. And if we can do all this well and package this all together and we can stand tall and walk proud and live our lives with integrity, people latch onto that in two seconds and people will start talking and they will start talking and they will start sharing. Especially now with the viral effect of... (sighs) social marketing, but you know, I think you're onto something because social media, you know, you and I are on LinkedIn. Uh, I just got on Facebook primarily because my nonprofit to help promote my nonprofit. Sure. And even Twitter, uh, has its issues, but LinkedIn's probably my favorite 
just, I don't know, I feel more, more comfortable with posting and I get more engagement on LinkedIn. But um, you can certainly see the difference between some of the authentic posts. And I know they have a goal, maybe a book to sell or maybe a coaching program, but they're, but they're authentic. And you can see the ones that are more geared that I don't think are, are that authentic. You can almost just, you know, sniff them out, you know, hey, that person's selling something because it's pretty cheesy the way they did it. And so, again, when you talk about the marketing aspect, you know, that's, to me, marketing is like the multifaceted approach, you know, the shotgun approach, you know, you got the LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, you know, you got all the different tools, whereas branding is that momentous, momentum building of who you are, you know, that, that putting your vulnerability out. So when I make a post about my wife dying or something very close to my heart, I'm, I'm becoming vulnerable. I think vulnerability has been another great aspect of sales. And I think the more vulnerable you are within, within reason, the more authentic you can become. But oh when I make those boy. posts, Larry, I, I see the engagement as being authentic as well. And I know ultimately I want people to donate to my nonprofit or buy my book or whatever. I don't, I don't feel like I'm tricking them if I'm authentic. But if I just made posts on here's my top five ways to change your life, <laughs> I'm, I'm no different than 8 billion other people on social media posting their top five stuff. That's, that's just how I'm wired. I'd much rather be yeah. comfortable telling my story and hoping that I can get people like a call to action. You know, if you're drinking every day, you see my story, you go, well, shit, if this guy can do it, I can do it, you know? And I think that's that authenticity going back to the very first word I had, uh, you know, 45 minutes ago. I think that's permeated through this whole conversation you and I have had as being authentic. Yeah, you know, um, I love where this conversation's going. And it's, you know, we live in this, Everyone could insert whatever adjective, whatever noun, whatever they want to insert in front of connection. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it's so interesting. Hang out on any social media platform, insert name of your favorite social media platform. And the first word that comes to mind before economy is impression or before anything mm -hmm. else is we are just, it, mm -hmm. it, it's the impression economy is just live and kicking on any social platform. Mm -hmm. So many people are fighting to be seen, but how many have anything to say? And I'm not here to disrespect anybody. No, I agree. I, say it. I agree. Um, we can use whatever social platform to our heart's content, right? There's, I mean, obviously there's very few rules around it. Yeah. But the, the reason why I bring this up is if you want it, and this is just going to be sales centric for just a moment. Mm -hmm. If you want to be seen as that true subject matter expert, then act as a sales professional on social. Mm -hmm. Carry yourself well, mm -hmm. stand tall, lead with integrity, engage. Use the word vulnerability a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. It's hard to be vulnerable online if you can't get vulnerable with yourself. Absolutely. People will smell BS instantaneously. Mm -hmm. And I, I've, wrote, I've written a series of articles online. I forget the, the, first, the, the first name of this individual. Last name's Goffman. Guy's long past. He was mm -hmm. a psychologist from Canada. His last name's G-O-F-F-M-A-N. I'm sorry. I just can't remember his first name. Mm -hmm. But he talked about the front stage of life and the backstage of life. 
Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, the minute we're born, we're thrust on the front stage of life. It's called survival. But true connection, true relationships, true meaning occurs in the backstage of life. Hmm. And I bring this up That's for good. a reason is if you want to, as a sales professional, if you want to connect, if you want to connect with your clients in any facet, whether that be online, virtual, the phone, email, bring your backstage life to the front stage. Yeah. Here's the problem. Everyone, and I mean everyone, is throwing up the best they have on the front stage of life on social. Mm-hmm. They're throwing up selfies, videos, you name it, and they're hoping something happens. Bring the backstage of your life to the front stage. Watch what starts to happen. Watch what starts to happen to connection and conversation. I love the way you articulate that and then items in the book about, you know, what we envision as success as a society, you know, maybe success is selling a lot of books. Maybe it's being a keynote speaker. Maybe it's driving a Ferrari. Maybe it's whatever it needs to be for your definition, I guess is, mm-hmm. is adequate. But I think I know a lot of salespeople that are miserable, that are the top people in their careers, but they're, they're divorced two or three times. They're alcoholics. They're maybe bankrupt, but, but they're getting all these awards and accolades. So I think as we, ascend to a higher place in our lives, which I think you do at each decade of your life, the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and I'm mid 50s. So it's to me, it's material things are just not important to me anymore. I've never even looked how many books I've sold. I I joke oftenly, I mail out I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah, I mail out books all the time. And someone says, well, what's your Google rate? I I don't tell people, I, I have no, I didn't make, I didn't write the book to make money. That sounds terrible, but I didn't. Now, eventually, I think when we go on tour and stuff, I'll have a chance to sell a lot of books, but the purpose wasn't to do that. If anything, it was a personal journal for me. It was a memoir sure. for me to, to me to get a lot of things out of my head on paper so people could see what I went through and understand why I didn't kill myself, You know, why I kept myself alive, what were the things that kept me going every day as I was still trying to run a business. So uh, where I'm tying this together is to kind of wrap up our conversation today is you say something in the book about the empty suit and that, that caught my attention because I thought that was an, a nice way to kind of visually or graphically make your point that you were making. So I think for the people that haven't read your book, which again, I'm going to strongly suggest, I, I got your book on Kindle. That's where I read it. And um, it was a nice, great, fast read. I enjoyed it. But um, you know, I forgot my point now that's happens with attention deficit, but um, <laughs> you know, it happens to me all day long, but, uh, no, I, I think, um, I was going to mention something that I'll throw in now to replace what I forgot before, but you talked about connection, you know, there's success, but you can be disconnected easily. You can be miserable. Uh, I think connection, if you just want to piggyback onto addiction, which is where I kind of hang my hat now, substance abuse, mental health, and addiction, Johan Harry, Hari wrote in chasing the scream that the number one you know, uh, opposite of addiction is connection is connectivity. Yep. So when you talk about connection, I'm thinking of it from an addiction, substance abuse world, you're thinking of it from a kind of a sales world, but the reality is connection is everywhere. It's all worlds. And I think for an abundant society we have with the most connectivity we've ever had, 
we're the most disconnected humans have ever existed. Amen, 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 Jeff. And, and here's where, if we struggle to connect to ourselves, truly connect to ourselves, we will struggle to connect to our clients, to our future clients, friends, mm -hmm. anyone in our circle of influence. Mm -hmm. And if we're empty inside, it will show. It may not show right now. People might be listening going, you know, this is kind of deep, right? It is. It is deep. But to me, and I, I write about it in the last chapter, Selling from the Heart, about not being an empty suit. Mm -hmm. Is we mask our emptiness with fancy watches mm -hmm. and fancy suits and fancy mm -hmm. cars and crap tons of debt and say, you know, I'm successful in sales. Look at all my toys. Yeah. Mark my word. It's masking insecurity somewhere. Mm -hmm. And if you're empty inside, if you're not educating your customers, if you're not engaging with your customers, if you're not bringing the best version of yourself to the forefront, if you, if you're not giving them insight, if you're not helping them do better business, I sum it all up. I, if you're not given a rip, hmm. They yeah, will view you as being an empty suit. Yeah. And, and it's not to disrespect the sales world. I am a sales nerd at heart. But there's a huge difference, and I write about it throughout Selling from the Heart, huge difference between being a sales rep and being a sales professional. I, I, and if you, you want to be, if, it, pardon me? Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and if you want to be viewed as not being an empty suit, then take the journey from being a sales rep to a sales professional. I think you tie it together so eloquently at the end of your book with Robert Frost's The Road Not Taken. It's my favorite. It's my because favorite Because I have a chapter in my book called The Two Roads, and it's the day that Seth died, how I presented to the boys that we had two roads to go down. And really, two roads, metaphor, analogy, you know, story, whatever you want to use it, has implications on, on all aspects. Every salesperson makes a decision, you know, do I hire a full-time staff or do I keep doing this myself? You know, or do I do that radio show or do I save the money and, and not do it? You know, you, you always have these two roads to go down. And I think, I think, you know, for, for us, it's a good way to kind of end this show because I like to challenge my followers and my listeners and people that, you know, are interested in this living undeterred project that I'm, I'm building this brand that I'm building. And then I look at what you're doing, selling from the heart, you know, and all the, all the daily decisions people make, you know, just do I call that person or do I not? You know, that's a road, you know, that, that's a decision sure. to make. And it all ties together beautifully with connectivity and authenticity. I think those are two great words that I would say, you know, can bow tie this conversation today. And I'm, I'm happy we met. I, this has been a wonderful, almost an hour conversation that, kind of one off on some areas I didn't plan on it, but that's the beauty of hosting your own podcast, right? You can do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> right? You do the same thing on your show. So, yep. um, so let's spend the last couple of minutes talking about you, where people can reach you about your podcast, about your book, you know, um, how people can use your services and then we'll wrap it up. If, if you want to find anything about our journey, what we're all about, the whole movement around authenticity inside the sales world, just go to sellingfromtheheart.net. Uh, you could access our podcast there. If you want a, uh, a free copy of Selling from the Heart, just go to sellingfromtheheart.net forward slash book. 
And if you want all kinds of free resources, we freely, and I mean freely, give these out. We pour into people a lot. Just text the word HEART, H-E-A-R-T, to 21,000, and we'll text you a bunch of free resources. Hmm. I like that. Well, listen, man, um, this has been great. I, I know you and I will continue our journey down the road. Uh, we sure will. Doing a lot more stuff together, but appreciate the support you've given me, and uh, I'm sure my followers and listeners will be excited to read your book. Um, and if there's anything I can do to help promote what you're doing, let me know. But with that, thank you very much again, and uh, keep living undeterred, okay? My pleasure. See you.